0: Good morning, welcome backwards to Speak. It's been a while since I have recorded a podcast. Been extraordinarily busy living in community and all of the infinite projects that were involved with that process. I'm also in the process of becoming a father. Technically, on some level, I am a father, although... (laughs) My son at the moment is more of like a, a fish creature than a person, so I I'm, I say I'm more in the process of becoming a father. So uh, there is a lot of aspects that go into that as well. A lot of things I've yet to understand, and yeah, we've been we've been busy up here. I had a retreat recently, and I have taken a step back from doing podcasts. As frequently also just because it's good I think in many ways to take steps back from whatever practices you're involved in or whatever creative operation you're involved in in order to get more perspective about it and to allow whatever it is that is fueling that or whatever it is that you are seeking to move towards has an opportunity to recharge and uh, I don't want to say recover because Speak is not exactly a taxing activity but recharge is a good way to put it because uh, with any practice if we continually do it constantly then we cultivate some sort of a level of numbness to it it becomes repetitive it becomes habitual in a way that no longer opens up necessarily new ground or uncharted territory. And expands us it can become something that just becomes another routine that being said there are plenty of routines that are excellent and I highly recommend doing Uh, but with creativity I've I've always found that taking a step away from one project moving into another one oftentimes can be a really powerful way to regain a sense of direction and more empowerment for what's trying to move through um so it seems like the world is slowly starting to go back to normal because of the vaccinations although i have personally not gotten vaccinated yet i'm not opposed to it i am just up here in the woods in a pretty solitary situation so aside from the immediate community surrounding me uh where we're not really taking too many people coming up here It hasn't felt like a pressing need to get the vaccination yet. And while that may change, I'm very open to it changing. I was talking with a friend and they were saying that they chose to get vaccinated because they are taking the stance that they have faith in humanity. And there's many conspiracy theories and many perspectives that suggest that there's something clandestine about getting vaccinations. And there's plenty of reason to believe in things like that. For instance, I believe in Central America, I think it was Guatemala, I don't know where, but the CIA, I think, was telling people they are giving them vaccinations, and then instead they actually just infected them with syphilis, something like that, and several hundred people, and they later apologized for this. And then you have the other situation where um, the once again involving the Central Intelligence Agency in Central America. I don't know what the deal is there, but where they basically were funding terrorists in Nicaragua through selling crack cocaine to the black communities in L.A. and essentially were responsible for causing the crack epidemic. In, I think it was the 80s, that journalist Gary Webb uncovered this through a... I think just a series of, mis- of accidents uncovered this whole thing, and I remember uh, reading about it. And John Kerry, in a Senate Commission report on the situation, essentially concluded, "Yes, this did happen. This is not a conspiracy." And so, when I hear those things, the first thing that comes to my mind is like, "Wow, I mean, can you get more conspiratorial than that? <laughs> like, that's about as like evil as one good, you know, conjure up in their mind in, in regards to the definitions of good and bad and." Evil and all those sort of things. That's something I have a movie, you know. Basically, sell horrifically damaging and addictive drugs to a marginalized part of your own country in order to fund terrorists in another country because they didn't want uh, populist communist regimes to take control in Central America and they didn't want the people to take control of their resources in Central America. <laughs> I mean, that's like wow okay so when people so i always have you know i always have a very deep skepticism with everything and i think that that is required on the spiritual path they call uh occam's razor this idea of like you know you want to shave off as much as possible that's not and leave it only with the essential which is a very uh wonderful covid theme essential needs Coming back to Occam's Razor. So when we're approaching things in our path, whether it is political, spiritual, social, whatever, we want to try to minimize all this chatter and fluff and drama and bullshit that our minds impose upon situations and really strip down to the bare minimum. So that can prevent us from doing something as... uh, let's say Naive is just jumping to conclusions that everyone is out to get us or everything is a conspiracy and blah, 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 and these sort of things. But then at the same time, yes, there are definitely conspiracies. They are oftentimes not really very well hidden in a lot of ways. Uh, And looking at those two situations I just mentioned about the crack epidemic in I think the 80s and 90s, and then looking at um, the false injections of vaccinations, which turned out to be an STD. So they could study the effect of it on the population. I think that we can understand that, you know, powers that be do have a track record of, uh, finding, I would say just sick ways to oppress people. Let's put it that way. And then obviously, of course, there's also like the, the blatant things where there are structures and institutions that are are not remotely subtle, where it's something like the the billionaire class has like 1% of the money, right? And then they pay no taxes. And then you have virtually everybody else on earth <laughs> totally in squalor. And all the structures that exist uphold all those things, institutionalized police racism, all these kind of things that just exist as ways to sustain the powers that be and so it's an important understanding to grasp that things are like that and that things do happen and there's no reason to believe that there are not continual things that are happening um as we move forward in life i mean what's this why would if the cia was doing that in the 50s or whenever it was and then the 80s and 90s And then things like the Iraq war happened where there's just blatant lies in order to invade a country that we are the ones that sold weapons to. But then ironically, it turns out they didn't have the weapons anymore. Or the ones that we sold them were outdated. And uh, what's to say that that those things are not continually happening? But then there also becomes an aspect of, of what my friend said of having faith in The fundamental goodness of humanity and that's a very i think buddhist concept and that's a very difficult one to grapple with if you've ever been uh wronged which is i would say virtually everybody at some moment (laughs) unless you're extraordinarily fortunate uh and i like to talk a lot about the dalai lama on this podcast and if you think about the dalai lama i mean how many times has someone been sent to kill the dalai lama so even uh the embodiment of compassion, right? And on another level, I've oftentimes heard my teacher say that the more that a person grows spiritually into a person of light and compassion and heart centeredness and of the spirit, you know the qualities I'm talking about, the more that the shadow encroaches upon them. Not from within but from outside. So oftentimes uh Teachers are convicted and prosecuted and crucified in all sorts of ways, not necessarily nailed to pieces of wood, but just in all kinds of ways because their light is so bright that it uh, is so disturbing and upsetting to those who are in a denser level of vibration and a more pain-identified way of relating to life so something that represents freedom if we're going to talk about the movie easy rider <laughs> you represent freedom to them and that scares the shit out of them you know people love to talk about freedom but to see a free individual that's another thing that's terrifying to people and not terrifying necessarily in a conscious way the freedom Whatever the vibration, whatever the embodiment of, of the thing that you are within, if you're able to connect to your true nature, to that fundamental goodness that we're talking about, and do so in a, in a radical way. Radical, I say, in relation to those that haven't, because fundamentally it's just what you are. It's not necessarily radical. It's just to be who you are, just to be the truth of what you are. I mean, that's actually, if anything, one would say normal, but when you're living in a sick society... Or a cloudy, clouded vision society, then uh, that's radical to be connected to fundamentally who you are, not to just the cultural conditioning of, of the times that you're in or the, or the location. And so that light and that that hygiene, that like purity, and or just that naked existence and truth of what you are, that openness. Openness might even be a better way to put it. That openness that you are embodying, that has its own vibration. And that vibration is saying that I and you and me, we are all one. We are all connected through the heart. We are finding that we are a unified being. Not even in the sense of like, oh, we're all like one family. But even deeper than that, we're a unified being. We're a unified consciousness. We are unity itself we are i can't even add another word after the phrase we are because we are i am what more can be said it, it is what it is i am that i am i is so language is an extraordinarily pointless um, reduction valve for explaining who we are yet uh, it's a wonderful tool for just expanding our consciousness at the same time to realize we just don't know I have no idea what's going on. I have no idea what I am. I can't label it. So we can't define it, but we can somehow become it. But what we're getting at here is that when you're in that vibration, that expression of we are, I am, it is through us. If someone's caught up in I am 50-year-old white Christian male Trump supporter, or even I am new age spiritual flower fairy kumaya lady <laughs> whatever the conditioning is there uh if you're in that um that place of just total transparency and openness that is going to shake the ground of the conditioning of those around you and if you're hanging around the kumaya flower fle- flower what do we say flower fairy lady then more likely or not that person will probably embrace you a little bit more, we hope. but you know, if you are living in in mainstream mass culture in this society or another one doesn't matter. that openness can be triggering in a way that can invoke violence, deceit, all kinds of negativity. And if your approach if you are a teacher, one would say is not necessarily, you can not You can only dim that light so much, and then there might be a point where you've reached a level of awakening within your system where you can't really dim it. You can only continue to walk and embody the truth, and I think this is what the story of Christ is about, is someone that refused to dim it in the face of all kinds of bullshit, for lack of a more evolved word. All kinds of corruption and deceit, and so on and so forth, commercialism, things of this nature. And understanding that one has to just walk forward in that truth. And it's interesting because we all say, oh, you know, I want to stand in my truth and speak my truth, and I want to be myself. That's one of my favorite ones, be myself. All right. <laughs> uh, but then the resistance that we're met against will challenge that deeply. Are you really able to be yourself or are you really able to hold that light or are you going to fall back into the darkness of your conditioning? And we've all been in places and times where we've wanted to say no and we said yes and we've wanted to speak up and we kept silent and we wanted to take action, and we just ate potato chips probably and watched a YouTube video. So it's, a, it's also a process I feel strongly has a lot to do with humbling ourselves to the depth of what we are and also our fear of acting from that place because it is frightening to act from that place i think bill hicks has a good quote or something along the lines at the end of one of his shows very famous one where he's talking about how life is just a ride he's saying you know it's thrills and chills it's brightly colored and it moves very fast and it's our minds are so powerful that we forget how this is just a ride that our life just is a ride but then there's really old souls. People have been on the ride a long time. And they come back and they say, don't be afraid, ever. Because this is just a ride. And then he says, and then we kill those people. <laughs> <laughs> and then I, I love part where he goes, mimicking, mocking the status quo. Shut him up. We have a lot invested in this ride. Look at my bank account, my family, my furrows of worry. <laughs> and then in saying, though no, it's okay though, because this is just a ride. So what a tremendous perspective to hold in trying to invoke change upon the world that to act from the place of truth inside yourself can get you crucified, but that it ultimately does not matter to walk in the world, but not be of the world. Easier said than done. And in respect to the situation with the vaccine, just to not get too far out here is looking at having a fundamental faith in the goodness of the human species and even not even taking it to like a mystical spiritual level but just a level of practicality just to share this is that when i go out into the world the vast majority of the time i don't experience people trying to inflict pain and suffering on each other we get consumed by that in media but generally speaking i see most people striving towards how would one say, I don't know the exact word, but we have a tendency to, when you, because we, I think we have a tendency to look at the structures of society and then judge everyone by those structures because most, virtually all of us have just been, are not coming from that place of, oh, let's, let's what's a great idea to get, Tom Tom? Mm, why don't we in, infect the population of Guatemala with an STD and see what happens but don't tell them. Great idea. Most of us are not coming from that perspective. You know, most of us are coming from a place of, uh, trying to take care of things in our lives, trying to be responsible. A lot of people, tremendous amount of people, are caught up in all kinds of uh, dark things, you could say, whether it be like addiction or the way that they treat other people and so on and so forth. But we, if you walk down the streets, in most places in the world, and you need help with something, you drop something or something happens, most times someone comes over to help you and picks it up. (laughs) I've also been robbed in very interesting circumstances in certain places and things like that and taken advantage of in that regard, so those things do happen. But it's more beneficial to feel that the general whole of the population is moving for the betterment. And while the medical industry and pharmaceutical companies and these sort of things do reap tremendous profits off of making healthcare a business, which in and of itself is totally distorted and, and horrific to think about. I also do feel that most people who get into healthcare are coming from a place of wanting to earn a living helping people. Call me crazy. I don't really have tremendous evidence to support this. It's just how I feel inside. I don't know. But uh, I have it. There's this I think it becomes important that we are imposing Occam's razor skepticism upon ourselves and our own interpretation of things because we can never really get outside of our own biases and perceptions. And even by applying this way of reduction and skepticism, we still find that we are applying it through... Our own lens of reduction and skepticism, if that makes sense. For instance, if you are a fundamental Christian, you're more likely to uh, oppose this, or rather reduce your belief system if you take this method in a way that fundamentally confirms your beliefs in Christianity. Uh, if you're an atheist, you would do so in the opposite. Important things to pay attention to. So, coming back though, just to the fundamental goodness of the human being feeling that there is a lot of capacity for people to step outside of their own selfish, limited desires and fears and cooperate, work together for something larger than themselves to be in a place of harmony with others. ultimately. This is something that does exist even in corrupt, sick societies, such as the United States. And it's important not to throw the baby out with the bathwater and feel that there are enough people that, while even if those people do things that are totally on the polar opposite of you know moving in towards a place of light and growth and positivity, it is not to say that that isn't there. That being said, I've not gotten vaccinated yet. I'm still waiting. I'm not sure quite for what. just something about the flow of things. And I think the question that we all need to meditate with as we are reintegrating into a larger society, right, is normalcy got destroyed for virtually everybody. And the question is, do we want things to go back to normal? Do we want to return back to a place where business as usual, where the machine is running? Where are we moving as a species, as a culture, as a community, as individuals, as family? Where is it that we are being called upon to look at ourselves and how we have contributed to the mess in which the human species finds itself in right now. And not necessarily from a place of like judgment, but perhaps a place of discernment. And this is something that I was meditating on yesterday for whatever reason at the grocery store as I was looking for ketchup. Don't ask me why. I had nothing to do with ketchup, but this is where it came into my mind. But trying to understand... Okay, how can you walk without judgment but use strong discernment about people, places, things, circumstances that you want to get involved in or don't want to get involved in? Directions in which to take your life. And understanding, okay, the society is sick, is that a judgment or is that a discernment? Depends perhaps on my tone of voice when I say it. That would probably be illuminate us as to where I'm coming from. Oftentimes, it's not so much the words we say, but how we say them that indicates what's happening in our in our feelings, and in our interpretation surrounding it. But being real about what's happening around us, are we going to be someone that absorbs culture? Are we going to be someone that consumes culture? Or are we going to be someone that awakens culture? Are we going to be someone that challenges culture, that transforms it? That pushes it in a direction that becomes more caring, more loving, more supportive, more integrated with nature. And then what is the method for doing that? And, and you know, this is an interesting thing that I would I would like to share about that process. Is so I live up in the forest with a community aiming to do those things. We have a farm across the street. Uh, we have... I would say maybe like almost closer to around 150 collectively within different properties, maybe close to around 200, 150 acres so so like that. A lot of it forested. We do a lot of work with harvesting firewood for uh, fire ceremonies and spend a lot of time. We do deep meditations in the forest and we grow a percentage of our own food and we live collectively we have collective music projects we have shared housing we have shared spiritual practice we do all these things that involve an alternative perspective upon like materialistic individualized culture that we exist in within the united states and it's an interesting thing because one can definitely see why Human beings have deviated from living like this and chosen to live in let's just say a cubicle plastic packaged world of boxes uh, because living in connection with nature you are simultaneously susceptible to the forces of nature and the discomfort of nature growing one's own growing one's own food is not a Easy work. Uh, I imagine that it could be established at some point to get to that level where techniques and things after a long time. But you know, we've been doing it since 2016, I think, maybe even a, maybe a little earlier, depending on how we define things and whatnot. But uh, it's a lot of work, you know. Going out there all last week, I was harvesting and it was pouring rain, and I had been up. Uh, I didn't get much sleep the night prior, virtually none. And I was just like, man, this is not fun. (laughs) This is not really an enjoyable process. But it's funny because then when you go out and and you're talking to people, all you do, you're like, yeah, you know, live close to nature, grow our own food, harvest it. Wow. But there's moments where that's really difficult. And at the same time, there's moments where it's really difficult where you do virtually anything. Anything requires a labor of love surrounding it. But it's easy to see why human culture has gravitated towards fast food, TV dinners, constant absorption in a screen, uh, sedentary lifestyle. It's people want to feel not challenged, they want to feel completely comforted by the almost like they want to feel as if they're in the womb still and there was one time where i was having a hard time with something and the teaching i got from my teacher uh was basically i needed to grow out of it and uh it's like yeah this is one of the problems You know, people need to grow up grow up so You can look at this desire to be Remain in the womb And to remain coddled And fed Without having to Apply oneself Remain comfortable As The Failure of the human species To grow up And how much of our society Is structured In a way That essentially encourages us to remain precisely where we are. Forever twenty-one. <laughs> A society that values youth and is afraid of aging and doesn't acknowledge death. So we have to look at what are the influences around us, and if the more I think awake one becomes, more conscious and aware the less those things can influence you but at the same time you know if you're living in new york city and you have billboards everywhere that are constantly projecting out this way of being and relating to the world that encourages complacency sedentary lifestyle youthful living mass consumption and complete dependency upon machines and technology as a means to happiness and uh discourages difficulty and getting outside of one's comfort zone, you could say then you're you're at the very least gonna have to be aware that those things are imposing themselves upon you if you're free from not being influenced by them. And even that in of itself is a taxing endeavor. It's like, okay, there's this person around, there's this thing around. There's something about the system that can't just fully relax. They can't just fully open up into natural expression because you're constantly battling this force of the imposition of society's values that are incongruent with harmonious natural living not to say you shouldn't live in a city not to say that one should just go to a pristine environment and say i'm done with that because oftentimes the you have to look at like where is your service calling you where is it that you are being asked to show up and be a transforming agent for the world i lived in new york city myself personally for eight years and the first couple of years i was rooted there Within a couple of years, I was traveling a lot and doing work outside of other places. But being in uh, in those environments, but holding that light and that awareness, as we were talking about earlier, where you're connected more to the truth of what you are, then you're able to be essentially a disrupting force and agent to those imposing forces and that's that's a very necessary thing if we are committed to transforming the society around us and it's an interesting thing too because why would one ever want to do that why would you want to be a transforming agent right and this is based on the understanding that There is an evolving principle to life. There is something that we need to help bring into our field. There's something, there's work to be done here. There's a mission for you. This is something, a good way to approach things. Because if we start to approach things like, what is my mission? What is it that I'm being asked to do? We can start to free ourselves from the monotony of the situation or the meaninglessness of the situation. And... There was a, I believe, a psychoanalyst analyst named Viktor Frankl who spent some time in Auschwitz, how much time, I don't really remember, but saying something along the lines of, if a person has meaning in their life, they can endure tremendous suffering because that meaning propels them past it, it, it gives them the strength to endure. I think he also had quotes as that which is to give off light must endure the burning and if you're just burning with no reason no mission no purpose then it's very easy to just fall deeper into those states of unconsciousness where we are becoming back to becoming consumers and we're hiding from ourselves. And we're not challenging things and we're saying no and we should be saying yes. But if we have meaning and we have a mission and we have a purpose in life and we have a conviction as to why we're moving forward and what it is that we're trying to do and bring forth into this life, then suddenly, yeah, that's an insurmountable obstacle, but I have no choice. I have to go through it because this is what I'm here for to do. And it's either that or I die or there is no failure. There's no option to fail. Having that kind of a conviction in in, in one's walk I think is a necessary process in bringing forth the absolute potential and potential is the the word that I want to focus on there. The absolute potential of what you have to offer the world as a being in it. And I was reflecting uh, on how... It seems, although I don't feel it's blanket statement, but it seems for a lot of teachers, real teachers, real spiritual teachers, to become that one has to go through tremendous suffering. There just has to be a period where for them it just couldn't get any worse. Because to move forward in the way that is so transformative and... radical although as i said earlier it's not radical only radical relationally speaking cuz those around us who are not in that place it's so radical in comparison to move from that place and to act from that place it has to it's so against any conditioning that we hold as people Everything in our mind, everything in our hearts, everything in our emotions is saying, no, no, don't do this, don't do this. And so I I feel that in so many ways, to get to a place where one is saying with a conviction, no, I'm going to walk in that way. I'm going to do it no matter what. There has to be a certain level of pain that the person goes through. That a certain level of uh, like the fires of purification. And when I say fires of purification, definitely want to emphasize on fires. Like there's a burning that occurs. That is so overwhelming that it becomes clear that this is the only way that one can go. And there is no option other than to, the way out is through. And I think that there's something really beautiful when one can understand why the burning is occurring. The Life becomes pretty dark when we fail to understand why we're burning. When we're just in pain and suffering and we can't understand why to what ends or for what reason or for what cause then we can find ourselves not really wanting to be alive anymore what's the point of this what am I suffering for difficult position to find oneself in but if we understand who and what and why we're doing this we can endure virtually anything no this is this is like an offering you know i offer up my discomfort I've, in devotion i offer up my complacency i offer up my childish need for comfort i put myself at risk on the line for something larger And if one is not understanding exactly what it is that causes, then it requires for us a a relentless, unyielding, honest, truthful search within ourselves as to what it is that we're here for. So having, in essence, a daily vision quest, I'm here praying for a fishing for my life. What is it that I'm here for? Why have I been sent here? And there's a lot of reason to feel that perhaps the whole thing is just a ride, right? It's just a ride. It's not necessarily meaning, but we bring meaning to the ride. And I think it's important as a human, because while you are a transcendental being, you're also a human being dealing with human crap all the time <laughs> <laughs> that uh is necessary to acknowledge perhaps there are people that have fully transcended the human experience although i i don't feel that's really what spirituality has a lot to do with i feel it has to do more with embracing the human experience it doesn't mean you have to embrace all qualities of it meaning you don't have to embrace getting angry at people and behaving violently But you do have to embrace the inescapable aspects of it. Old age, sickness, death, loss. And then also the positive qualities. Creativity, love, joy, happiness, community, family, so on and so forth. Experiencing our nature. But we have to have a a ruthless inventory within ourselves. Checking ourselves. What is it that wants to move through me? One of my favorite quotes is... If you do not bring forth what is inside you, what is inside you will destroy you. It's from Somewhere in the Bible. I don't ever read the Bible, but somehow the quotes seem to wind up my field enough. But we need to understand what is it that wants to move through us, that wants to be expressed through us. And there's a great other quote. It says, if you spit into the wind and it hits someone else in the face, keep going. Because if we are going to... Bring forth what's inside of us, especially at this stage and in this cultural environment. When I say this cultural environment, I'm speaking specifically in the United States because Western globalization and consumer culture is virtually everywhere in the world. There's a few places where it's not. So most of us are involved in that or dealing with that. I don't know if there's any cultures that haven't had to not deal with it. I was in Bhutan, the kingdom of Bhutan, where uh, they limit how many people can come to the country. They have a mandate as 80% trees there. And they've been, you go there and everything, they they actually have a dress code, which is not strictly enforced. Wearing the traditional Bhutanese dress called the Go, G-H-O. It's interesting, kind of like a bathrobe. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, you know, the architecture has to look a certain way, like the traditional architecture. So what you have here is kind of, what I'm getting at is that even in the kingdom of Bhutan, which a lot of people are like, oh, it's like Shangri-La, oh my God. (laughs) And I'm mocking that intentionally because this is a culture that has had to impose upon its population and in a very forced and you could say artificial way, impose that it remains true to its traditional culture so that it doesn't get... Um, consumed by Western globalizing forces, such as what's happened in Kathmandu and Nepal and India and other places, where pollution and just tons of cheap plastic crap has influenced and obliterated a lot of the uh, beauty and refinement of the traditional architecture. But I'm I'm kind of mocking the mentality of like, oh, it's like Shangri La. Wow! I have to. I just have to mock that on some level because. It's so imposed where it's kind of like creating a cultural Disneyland on some level and oftentimes done mainly to bring in tourism. So that's kind of a funny thing. And I, I think Bhutan is a, is a perhaps a really good example of a place where people think of it as kind of like an untouched sort of um, Himalayan kingdom, Shangri-La, right? But even there, uh, I spent three weeks there as a student, and there's a lot of funny things, just like there is with anywhere. And so when I say this culture, it's like everyone, even in the Shangri-La, they have to deal with the imposition of, of global globalized crap and this sort of thing. So as we're taking this inventory of ourselves, we have to really look at like, okay, this is going to uh, create friction with the culture this is going to create friction with what's around us because what's around us doesn't want us to move in this way what's around the the the, the wind is going in the direction I'm, excuse me not the wind but we're spitting into the wind but it's hitting someone else in the face meaning that we're moving we're actually moving in the direction the spirit is asking for something it's pushing that thing forward Even though it is hitting other people in the face. And if it hits someone else in the face, good. Good, they should be able to to deal with that. They should be confronted with that. The conservatism. The fixed mindset. And the lack of empathy with what's happening around them. So we have to step out of the boxes that have held us in, that have asked us to constrain ourselves in a certain way. We just need to do that. And it doesn't matter who put that there. We need to move out of it. Because then we're not actually in service to what it is that we're here to do. And then whatever we are here to do, because it's not happening, will implode upon us and well I'm sure all of us have been there at one moment or another just completely stuck with ourselves and they say hell is you know being stuck with yourself things aren't moving and flowing so we need to look at like what's going to move us back into a state of flow into a place of grace, into a place of harmony into a place of unity into a place that challenges and dissolves division and the word that comes to me there emphasizes dissolves dissolving division we're not trying to like break or resist division even though on some level we are <laughs> but we're dissolving it i think that's a good way to look at it because it, it, that's how water moves right water slowly erodes stone it doesn't shatter stone it can but uh, generally, if you go to a river, it's not shattering the stone. It's not even resisting the stone. It's just... its The stone is there. The stone doesn't want to move. The stone's resisting the water. The water's saying, I'm not trying to resist you. I'm just going to flow around you. But we're going to come in contact. There's no way around that. And as we come in contact, I'm not going to beat upon you. Depends where you are in the river, I guess. <laughs> but oftentimes, the... <laughs> water is just gonna erode slowly slowly this is gonna by a gentle embrace oftentimes and just smooth out the stone so i think this is kind of the approach that we need to take with how we're dealing with the backwardsness and the sickness of the society and and the culture and the people that we are oftentimes forced to be around the human species is that we have to look at it like I'm not going to approach you from a place of violence or from a place of, you know, if you express something that's counter to what I think or feels backwards to me, I'm not going to yell at you and get in your face. But at the same time, I'm not going to back down. I'm There's going to be a, a gentle on some level, but extraordinarily uh, strong to the point where it's unstoppable embrace because I have to be that way and we're going to feel one another There's that's going to be there but the reality is I'm not necessarily resisting you I'm just in a place of flow so that which is brittle and hard is going to break so coming more into a place of Smoothing out the edges around us, but in an unrelentless and, in many ways, unforgiving way. If you, I've been swimming in waterfalls the past couple days, went hiking, and got underneath one of them, and it didn't really care if I was there or not. It was just gonna push me down. It's unforgiving. At the same time. It's not coming with a violent intent, it's not coming with anything, it's just just true to itself. It's just moving in the way it's moving, and that's the way it has to go. And if something is in the way, that's how it is. So understanding right action is kind of what we're attempting to express here with this metaphor of the water and how this pertains to how we relate to the fixed structures of society and individuals and people around us. And understanding that we can only divert the stream so much and that there has to be a moment of confrontation. And it's through that friction and that confrontation that growth occurs on both sides because If we're in a position of self-righteousness and I'm the one who knows and I have everything figured out and because I have meditated for 15 minutes a day all last week, I have all unlocked the secrets of the universe, then we are in a profoundly comical position. (laughs) And to not be able to understand that there's no enemies, there's only teachers. There's somebody to learn from every single person no matter how quote-unquote ignorant or... Uh, unimaginative or unspiritual or whatever it is that the person's qualities that we perceive to have there's something to be learned from everyone because they're also here we are i am it is we are all here so their perspective is as valid on that level as anyone else's because they are participating in the situation if you can learn something From an animal, then you can learn something from any human also. For instance, a human being can at least talk to you. (laughs) And that's also kind of a joke because animals too can communicate in all kinds of ways. I heard the other day someone say, If you only talk to people, you will be incredibly bored and you're incredibly deaf. So learning to opening up our communicative capacities to everything around us. And we say everything, we don't just mean, oh, like, in a spiritual way, I'm opening my communicative capacities to the forest, the animals, the spirits. But also, how about to, like, the most ignorant person that you could possibly could, the person who's most, like, the last person. How about opening the, the communicative capacities to someone that you just... I don't even want to be around that person. I just try to have the tolerance and presence the inquisitive nature to see what level of communication can be obtained with that person. And to approach things more from an exploratory perspective and to see What is it that person has to offer? And maybe we'll find ourselves deeply surprised. So I don't know how open-minded one can be if they only talk to open-minded people. (laughs) (laughs) So all of this comes back to just looking outside of ourselves. Having the... Humility to hear what others have to say And at the same time too Go out, listen to the forest Communicate with the stone, the elements And so on and so forth Listen to what the rain, the lightning bugs And all those things have to say But then If we do that and then we go home Or we go out And then someone says something we disagree with And then we get really defensive and loud and aggressive, then (laughs) we weren't listening very well to begin with With anything. So how to open up the channels of communication. And in many ways I think that I have found that is most effective when I open up the channels of communication within myself. Meaning, I listen to myself both when I speak and silence my thoughts, having self knowledge, self observation what's happening, what, what is it that was the approach that I'm coming from, what is it that I'm trying to express, how is it being communicated. So, having a quiet place that one can retreat to. Where you can get quiet enough within yourself to actually hear what it is that is your higher self is trying to communicate to you, and also what is it that your lower self is trying to communicate to you? Because how often do you, we, we tend to listen to that voice, but not in a way that I would say is active listening. We tend to listen to it in more passive way. <laughs> so people say, just listen to your higher self see what your higher self has to say yes you should absolutely do that that's extraordinarily important but then also might be effective to to listen to your lower self and when i say listen doesn't mean act upon it but just hear what it has to say because then you might actually find that you're more like everybody else than one cares to admit and one of the most detrimental things i've found in my own path is idea and thought feeling that i'm special or that i'm unique i heard george carlin say one time you know we tell kids they're special and he's like if everyone is special then it's really not that unique of a thing everything is special who cares what's the big deal (laughs) (laughs) if everything is special how special is it to be special and so that's more of a knock on language and his delivery of it was much better than mine which is why i'm not a a comedian but the uh, <laughs> what we're getting at here is like, you know, while you each person has like these unique and powerful gifts and we have something profound to share with the world that is transcendental if we so choose to activate it, at the same time there's something in us that's just like the most ignorant dark thing ever and all of us have that inside of us. And the moment that we fail to acknowledge that and lose our awareness of it is the moment when that thing takes control. And then suddenly we just finish like an hour of meditation and someone comes to talk to us. What? What do you want? (laughs) What was the point of that meditation? (laughs) So taking the time to listen to things like I'm listening to my anger right now. I'm listening to my fear. I'm listening to my desires listening to my selfishness and when i say listen to i'm not saying take advice from <laughs> saying just listen to it just listen to what it has to say and realize that that force is inside of you that capacity to destroy and do all the things that we perceive in the outside world is totally incongruent with who we are as a person that is actually inside of us And as we grow in awareness of it, that's what gives us the capacity to dissolve it. I have found within myself. Times when I've been really, really, really angry. Or the times where I've been in pain about something emotionally or whatever it was, the experiences I was having, having some kind of selfish impulse. The time I just stopped and looked at that. And once again, coming back to a place of discernment, not judgment, just looking at a place of discernment, like, hmm. I'm just like, well, I'm really angry. Like... And then hearing the thought of what the anger has to say. Being like, okay, well. I'm gonna listen to that, but I'm not gonna act upon it. You know, so approaching oneself with restraint is always highly encouraged and recommended. And I've heard in different traditions is a demonstration of self knowledge is understanding our capacity to act from a place of restraint, cultivating self restraint. But I think the power in being able to do that would come from having the tolerance to listen to those aspects of oneself that would require restraint. Because if we've never listened to those aspects of ourselves, chances are those cells are the force those forces are the aspects of ourselves that are running more parts of our life than we would care to admit so taking an opportunity as my teacher says to do a daily vision quest find that quiet space and take a ruthless inventory as to what's actually happening inside you not like i am a flowering Lotus blooming enlightened being who is here for love and compassion. And like, yeah, (laughs) you can do that too. That's fine. But if we only do that, we fail to acknowledge the other forces. We can find ourselves in a lot of very funny situations later. Be like, wow, that's a really angry flowering lotus Compassionate being I just encountered. I wonder why that is. (laughs) So understanding a process of of union of opposites here. The Taoist symbol of the yin, yin and yang, right? It has the polarizing forces and having the understanding that there is one within the other we can't have one without the other. So we have to create space for understanding what the shadow is, and what it's use is. And as a fan of the band tool, not just because of the name, but the name is the emphasis here, the name, the tool, the shadow side being a tool, what is the what is the practical application of this aspect of ourselves? And how can it be used in a way towards service of a more transcendental, harmonious way of relationship in all aspects of our lives? And the first step would just to be, okay, like this is what's inside. It's not just it's not like it's not necessarily saying let's bring like flowers and love there. It's saying first like let's just see what's there. What's actually there. I'm not trying to cover it up or mask it anymore. Let's just see what's actually happening there. Like, okay, that's there. Okay, that's what it feels like. Huh. But I'd be able to feel the thing fully. Without acting upon it. Extraordinarily difficult. What I personally have found in my own experience of this is that I will Go into that place, and I've built up so many psychological layers within myself of resisting feeling those emotions. The tendency, just you know, to want to bypass, to just be no, I'm choose choose to be happy, But then in the, in that in that saying that, while that's actually a great approach because we do just need to choose to be happy. I'm not saying that's not the case, but what I'm suggesting is that when we do that we are kind of pushing things down and then that creates a tension and then if we don't create an outlet for whatever it is we're pushing down then those forces create tension that can create split that can create outbursts that can create dissociations of all sorts so we have to Find a way to open the doors for us to feel things more. But then have awareness and the composure and the presence to feel those things without acting upon them. To just be with them and allow the energy of them to arise and then subside and then clear. And the reason I'm, I'm also saying like, you know, people say you got to bring love there, but oftentimes we don't really need to bring love there. It's not like love isn't already there. It's already love inside of us. It's not like there is missing love. It's more just like something's not flowing. So I think Rumi said something like, you don't need to seek love. You just need to seek to remove all the barriers and obstacles that exist towards it. And then love arises naturally on its own. peace arises naturally on its own, so having the awareness that we can that we're already inherently good the inherent goodness inside of us and while that sounds like an elementary kind of word, it's good, you know it is in some way, but at the same time, what we're getting at is that this sense of uh, Like well-being, peace, harmony, caring for others, compassion. These things already exist inside of us. We don't need to fill ourselves with those things. We just sort of need to like clear space for the other stuff to come out. And for it to come out in a way that is not going to damage or destroy more. And... You know, this is in many ways just a very tricky dance, and not one that anyone on earth, I think, can claim to have perfected. And that's a really important thing to do is to always take, continuing to come back to this phrase, take ruthless inventory with oneself, recognition that we all have the capacity to take this energy and use it for something totally horrific, if not appropriately managed. So, having our daily vision quest our time uh, take a inner search to listen to both our higher nature and our lower nature and to understand where the two of them can meet in the middle okay how can the higher nature create a space for healing and transformation of the lower nature not just for oneself but for others Not just for human beings, but for animals, not just animals, but the totality of the planetary ecosystem. To have this kind of perspective that we can integrate our most darkest aspects in a way that can help bring light out. And then also understand that this process is going to hurt. There's not really any way of avoiding that. So growing up to get out of the womb of comfort and consumerism and to step into a place where, yes, it's going to hurt. But having taken the inventory, we've uncovered a meaning for the suffering. We've tapped into the awareness that this is providing for us, a evolutionary launch pad That we can be a transformative agent for this evolutionary launchpad. That we can align ourselves with the forces around us and be in service towards the healing and the awakening and the restoration of the human psyche and the balance with nature. And that, yeah, it's difficult and it's confusing. And that every time we take a step, sometimes we take two steps We take one step forward and then we take two steps backwards. And that's a very confusing thing. But also taking refuge and solace in the fact that this is an eternal process. There's no rush. There's not necessarily an objective. But from just an inner place, finding that the more we act and operate in the direction of this calling towards this higher evolutionary service to a greater harmony and a greater unification of things that we can find a energetic emotional psychological spiritual catharsis within ourselves where prior to operating in this practice we were finding ourselves blocked with selfish desires or juvenile emotions or addictive behaviors all kinds of things that we don't want to cultivate and being stuck with those things we can find that if we operate towards this higher purpose that we can begin to step away from the confinement of those obstacles and we can move into a place of more freedom more growth more self-expression more harmony more unity, more expansiveness, more flow. And to be in that place as a state of consciousness, as a way of being, as a way of relating, we'll find uh, replenishment. This is what we were looking for. It provides not just a meaning for the pain, but it provides like a, a solve, a bomb for the pain. It's like, ah, And then we can see that the the pain is not something there that's necessarily damaging us. But also coming back to, you know, if you don't bring this forward, it will destroy you. In that case, it can damage you. But if we are able to bring it forth, it will purify us. And the purification, while it hurts and it does, it is extraordinarily uncomfortable. (laughs) It will... It will clear, you know, and as they say like this two shall pass, this two shall pass, this two shall pass, this two shall pass. This is a way to expedite the passing of things, is providing the outlet, is taking a vision of transformation and sending those things on their way. You know, we could just sit in a silent meditation for days and days and days and you know tremendous transformation and, and passing of difficult emotions and feelings and experiences and sensations will occur but if we are able to sit in a meditation for and conjure up an understanding a meaning a vision of what it is that we're trying to do with ourselves and what's inside of us and apply it towards the service of a larger thing then that energy will begin to flow once we take steps in the direction of that vision in a way that just sitting passively although meditation is not passive it's extraordinarily active but for the sake of talking one understands what i'm saying is that we're now meditation and action so you can practice the sitting meditation and understanding okay my meditation has informed me to do x y and z now i'm moving on that and now very deep blockages are being released and at the same time our perception of what's happening from an experiential visceral level is unfolding too okay i can see what's happening now i can see that this is opening me to this state of freedom which is fundamentally the thing that all of us are seeking it is the only game in town ram das likes to talk about this is what they're talking about this place of trust and surrender and flow with the spirit of life And the deeper the calling as always, the deeper the resistance because the greater the transformation, the more that our foundation will be shaken, the more that we'll have to give things up, the more that we will be placed in a position of testing our conviction. How much are we really committed to what it is that we claim to be? Or do we just wear a t-shirt with the Buddha on it? How much are we just wear a cross around her neck? Are we actually committed to being nailed to two pieces of wood if the circumstances call for it? <laughs> and that's something that, once again, we don't need to necessarily do something radical. We don't need to take it to an extreme level. But to move forward in that direction, just inch by inch a little bit each day, that will help provide enough movement and enough flow that will take us to a place where we can conjure up enough capacity to have courage to move into a more quote-unquote radical transformation. And once again... emphasize re-emphasize, radical being radical only in relation to those around us who have not taken the steps to be in service to a larger vision of healing awakening and so on and so forth of evolution but taking those gradual steps so that we can begin to see ah this is working so that there when those tests come for those quantum leap moments that we can say yes the adventure of our life that we can say yes i'm not going to back down and that i know i have tremendous fear arising and so on and so forth but this is just my own ego edging god out they say ego stands for and that this is the warrior path of moving forward Even everything inside me is saying go back to sleep you don't want to do it so Trusting in the progress that we have made, trusting in the baby steps that led to leaps, that led to flight, and understanding that many people have walked before us on this path, even though ours is entirely unique to our own. And also just taking solace too, I found that like no one ever really remembers much the people that stayed in the comfort zone in the never left the frozen food aisle that being said i love frozen berries in my smoothie but the point being that we need to ask ourselves what is it that wants to move through us and how can i use that in service of the larger whole so if you're still with me on this podcast if you haven't been asking yourself that question this whole time this is a really good moment to ask yourself that question what is it that wants to move through me how can I be in service towards that how can I have the courage to activate that, not just through my words but through my actions. If what I'm really seeking at the end of the day is freedom in a state of consciousness, and to be that transforming agent of freedom for freedom, for others, for the entire ecosystem, for the collective. what is it that will lead me to that state also understanding that state is not a permanent resting place but a connection dynamic connection dynamic movement Ask yourself this. Why am I here? Why are the circumstances around me the way that they are? Stop relating to things automatically. Why is it like this? Not what mistakes and choices did I make in life that got me here? Recapitulation of it may be helpful, but ultimately, you want to look at just why. Is it like this? For the understanding of where can I take it? How can I utilize what's around me? To be in service of union and harmony. What shifts do I need to make? The so best of luck on your journey to liberation. Be happy, be peaceful. Hush, hush.